0: Amen, choir. What a message. For those who uh, listen to our our sermons on the internet, we have our website set up there, and you can pull those up, and there are folks that listen to us, and that's all they hear of our service. Uh, they missed a real blessing. The words of the choir was, If breaking me means using me, then break me, Lord. Wow. When's the last time you've prayed something like that before the Father? Very good words. We might have to go with that as our theme song every week. That would be good. Uh, oh, what a beautiful number, though. Thank you, choir, for bringing that to us here this morning. We are on a study of servanthood there's a toolbox sitting here. I call it God's toolbox. You are in it as a servant of the Lord. And uh, we're going through a series of, of studies on what it means to be a servant of the Lord. Uh, what is he doing with us? And why are we in that box? What's the purpose behind it all? That's, that's where our study is. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's kind of where we're launching from in our study. And we're going into the, the handful of verses at the very end of the chapter, verse 26 through verse 31. That's where primarily our focus will be for the next handful of weeks. But 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, I'm going to read it and we'll have a word of prayer. And then we will um, discuss what we see. So, starting with verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. For by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, we have much to learn, and we are so thankful that you are willing to have us taught. You have given to us your word, that it might set before us, we can read it, and we have the privilege and the luxury of reading this book anytime we want. Thank you, Lord, for that. We also have the benefit of your Holy Spirit within us who teaches us and guides us in the truth and and challenges us and actually works inside our hearts to respond and to do what we're called to do. And thank you, Lord, for that. Really, we stand before you without any excuses on why we can't benefit from this time. For you are at work in us, both to will and to do, for your good pleasure. So, we submit ourselves to you again at this time as we open up your word and ask that you might uh, uh, challenge us thoroughly with what we hear. Shape us, break us, if that's what you need to do, that we may be useful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus, especially on verse 26 today, and just a handful of words as it begins here. For consider your calling. Consider your calling. This is actually a place where you just stop before we even go into all the details that this chapter has to bring us. We stop right at the start and consider our calling. Consider it. I mean, look at it. Alright? It's a command, even in, in the Greek text. We're not just casually going to do that. We're going to follow a command here. In that sense, we're obedient. If we didn't consider it, we wouldn't be obedient, would we? It's a command. So it says, consider your calling, brethren. Then he goes on to describe more details about it. I've learned over the years the value of, of knowing the background of the text that we get to study. And I thought I'd bring this up to you today because we're studying a section of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians uh, was a fellowship, a church that was in the town of Corinth in the territory of Greece. If you look it up on a map, uh, we know quite a bit about them. We know quite a bit about their history too. Uh, It's not something so obscure we could only guess, but... uh, History has given to us a ton of information about the background of this territory and the kind of people who lived in it. So we benefit from this. And among the things uh, that I find interesting, when Paul went on his missionary journeys, he went into towns and he addressed people according to who they are, their culture, uh, the kind of uh, society and the kind of practices that were known in their particular town and city. If he walked into a town full of idols, as in the case of Athens, he addressed idolatry in his messages. Walking into Corinth, what would you expect to find there? Let me give you a touch of their history and you can see the kind of people he would be addressing here. Um, They had two biggies in their culture. One was athletics and the second was wisdom. These two things were dominant in the Greek culture, athletics and wisdom. Now Corinth happened to have been very strong in athletics in the sense that uh, they were a host city of the Isthmian games. The Isthmian games are very interesting. I spell it so you say, well, what's he trying to say? I-S-T-H-M-I-A-N. Like in Isthmus, where they were living, they had games there. And uh, they started these games about 582 B.C. So by the time Paul came there, they had already had almost uh, 600 years, almost 600 years of hosting these games in their town. Matter of fact, the games were so significant to them. They would play towns or the cities of Athens and such in in different sporting events. But uh, there was a time when there was a war going on between the town of Corinth and the town of Athens. They suspended the war for the Games. And then, after the Games were over, guess what they did? They resumed the war. So, which is more important to them? The Games. That's how significant it was. Matter of fact, we, we, we know this, at least as I grew up and as most of you grew up. Remember, the Olympics were only once every four years? Now we've got them every other year. we got winter and we got summer. and They alternate that way. But they, it was just once every four years. That actually followed the pattern of the games. There was a set of games that included this set, where the Isthmian Games would be played one year, and then the next year were the Olympic Games, and then the third year was what they called the Pythian Games, another town, The fourth year was the Isthmian Games again. Corinth actually had it twice every four years, and the Olympics came around once. Shows you how significant these games were. In their culture, athletics was a big deal. Why? Because it glorified man and what man can do. The Greeks were all about that. The second thing they were known for was wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, Just that town near them was Athens and it was known for their their philosophers. They had the Stoics up there. They had the uh, uh, Epicurean philosophers. They just sat around all day long thinking big, deep thoughts. And if you came to town with a new big, deep thought, they'd invite you over and share it with them and they'd sit around and think about that one too. Acts chapter 17 gives you a nice little background of that. Paul addressing these scholars in Athens. But uh, here... That was a side of their life. Philosophy, think, what man can think. Athlete, athletics, what man can do. It was a center on man. It was a glorification of man. That kind of system, built on the same idea, centered around the same idea, what man can do. It's a man-centered point of view. So if you step back from it, their wisdom... Their wisdom was based on what man can think. That means it's limited, right? Because man's limited in their thinking. And that system was, was based on man's ability. And man is limited. So it was a limited thought there, too. Uh, everything about what they, they highlighted and brought to the table and talked about was limited because it was based on man. And unfortunately, it also was based on the duration of man. Man is limited there, too. For just as as sure as you came up with a good idea, somebody will eventually replace you with another good idea. Or you won't live long enough, and somebody else will step up, and they will have something. And that's the nature of the limitations. Their whole system was on limitations. Limitations. Now, that's significant as Paul's starting to write to them. He wants to talk about wisdom. And he wants to talk about ability and how it relates to service in the church. If they brought to that church man's ability and man's wisdom, what they're going to produce is man results. Is that what the church is for? Uh Aha! Paul's writing to them very significant things. Based on their kind of culture. After all, we can read from God's Word and we can say, well, wisdom, wisdom is explained to us in God's Word. Matter of fact, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. And we would say, that's an entirely different start than where they started with theirs. So understanding a little bit of the background, Paul walks into Corinth. And he starts to teach them and try to imagine the first impression he gave. They're used to man and all his glory and all his strength and all his athleticism and his wisdom and all this. And Paul walks in, and in chapter 2, just glance over there for a minute, verse number 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, Paul that doesn't match their culture very well, because to them, death is failure. What's he preaching? Christ crucified. Hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, He says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. Now, do you think they thought highly of weakness, and fear, and trembling? That too was a big failure as far as they were concerned, that anyone would come into their, their world, this man-centered world, and they'd be weak and they'd be fearful and they'd, uh, uh, they, they would have uh, um, this, this fear about them and this, this uh, uh, trembling about them and they're speaking about death. <laughs> what a picture! That's Paul's introduction to them. This is what he brought to them when he started to... And he says, my speech in verse number 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And then he tells you in verse 5 his whole purpose for it. Why do you do this, Paul? You can lose your audience very quickly at the rate you're going. But he says, no, no. There's a purpose behind this. Verse number 5, that your faith should not stand. If you have the King James, it's like this. Should not stand. It really means should not exist. It should not exist in the wisdom of men. If you live in a culture where man is the center of everything, where are you going to anchor your faith? On man. What man can do, what man can think. He says, I came to show you your faith is not attached to the wisdom of man. It shouldn't be there. But... That little word, but, is one of the strongest words you could pull out of the Greek text. Alright? He wants you to see a contrast. Matter of fact, I'm going to put it this way. Are you ready? Either one of these is the way you're operating, or the other one is the way you're operating. Now is the time to choose. Either you have a faith anchored in the wisdom of man, or you have uh, a faith anchored in the power of God. There's a contrast between those two. You have to pick one or the other. Paul says, that's what I did when I came to you. I wanted to show you the power of God, not the wisdom of man. Where's your faith right now? Is it in what man can do, or is it in what God is able to do? That was the whole reason for his approach, as he did. So, he's talking to a body of believers in Corinth, who are kind of tossed between their culture and the truth. And they want to, Where are you going to stand, Paul? Where are you going to go from this? It is imperative that you as a congregation, Paul starts with them, function by faith in the power of God rather than in the wisdom of man. It's imperative that we know where we're starting. Alright? That's his approach as he begins to talk to them. There was a need for this Corinthian church then to stop using human power to operate a spiritual thing, the church. Is this a lesson we might need? (laughs) Unfortunately, I think so. Because we think pretty much about what we can do and what we can think. And we bring all that to the table and think, well, Lord, you know, here's my gifts. I'm going to use them. You know, I'm going to plow through this on my strength and my wisdom and things. And how often do we use human abilities, human wisdom, human strength, and all these things to operate a spiritual fellowship? That was a Corinthian problem. As a result, it broke into all kinds of problems, and the whole book's full of them. But this is what he's going to address with them. So, he starts early in chapter number 1, verse 21. Just scan through it. This is great. This is what he says. Verse For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Well, see, there's a bad reason to use man's wisdom anyway. You're not going to gain anything in the knowledge of God, are you? God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. There it is again. To the Jews, that's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, that's foolishness. But to those of us who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because, verse 25, he says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now you say, when is God foolish? When is God weak? Well, it's a picture, if you will. Even if God were foolish, his foolishness far surpasses the wisest thing a man can do. And if God were weak, at some point, if he had ever a low spot somewhere in all his power, that's still greater than the greatest power we could ever develop. So we can obviously see a huge contrast between these two. Which are you wanting to operate by? The wisdom of man or the power of God? Paul says, All right, Corinthians, let me illustrate. That's where we are in our chapter, verse 26 and on. He says, Let me illustrate. Now, this is going to take a little bit of my, my strange imagination, okay? I picture Paul saying, okay, I'm going to explain to you how wise God is in choosing you and how foolish you are to operate by man. So come over here and look at this picture. And if you will, imagine on the wall, there's a picture of the Corinthian congregation. They all posed for it after a Sunday morning service, right? Somebody took the picture and there it is, big as life on the wall. The whole congregation up on that picture. Can you picture it? With my imagination, I see it right up there. All right you like black and white or colored whichever one you prefer this is an old congregation we'll go black and white okay there's this picture of them on there She says alright Corinthians let's look at it hey there's your pianist sitting right there you see okay there's a pianist and, and there's an usher and there's an usher and there's one of your ushers there and, and there's an usher too and, and there's your Sunday school teachers now, they put them right in the front row isn't that nice And he starts to look at their Sunday school teachers, and he says, now, look at that picture. Look at all those wise men up there. Saying, huh? He says, well, okay. That one guy over there, we think he's pretty wise. At least he's wiser than most of us. But but there's there's a wise man among us, yeah. Um, uh, Some of them, I wouldn't call wise, would you? And he looks over that list and he says, there's not many wise among you. There's, there's a few, maybe, but not many. More. And there's not many strong. Now, there's one guy in the corner. We're sure he's on steroids. But the rest of them, we're not, we're not too There's not too many strong in there, are there? Well, most of them are just like average guys, you and me. Um, where are your celebrities? Look over your picture and tell me. Do you see celebrities in there, Paul? I, I don't know. This is a picture of a group. The fellowship. We look at them and say, Well, you know, there's not many wise. There's not many who are strong. There are not many who are, are celebrities. Actually, Paul says it this way not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Talks about the nobility that might be among them, and you know, we get so impressed with nobility because of their name, right? Their family, because they were born into a family that was uh, either very wealthy or prominent in one way or another. All of a sudden, the children take on the same characteristics, don't they? We elevate them just because of their name. And Paul says, look at your group. You know... Many times, if that were our picture up there, we might look at it because we know each other and we'd be rather impressed with it. And we we know the heart of this person and we know the service of this person, their history. And and so we might look at it and say, hey, that's pretty impressive. But bring in a stranger to look at your picture. Bring in somebody who's never been among the church and don't know the background and say, be impressed. And he's going to look at it and say, it looks like everybody else. Right? Right? That's reality. The Corinthians were impressed with their picture on the wall. They were impressed with it. And that spilled out into their service because they thought that's what it was all about. Their service was loaded with their own self importance. Now, sometimes you can get a distorted view of how great we are. Maybe not you, maybe not this fellowship. Maybe only other ch- churches have this problem. But if you really want the big picture, have somebody else look at it for you. For example, some of you, try this. Try to impress your children or grandchildren with your high school pictures. There will be a lot of laughing. I know it because I've heard them laugh at mine too. They can't believe the hairstyles we used to have. I don't know what that's all about. But that's a picture that I start with when I think of our Corinthian fellowship. They thought that they were something really magnificent. And of course, God only uses that kind of person. And so they were strutting around the church, you know, in their, their wisdom and in their power and their abilities. And Paul says, now, come on, look again at the picture. Consider your calling, brethren. Consider your calling. There's not many wise." there 's not many mighty there 's not many noble so let 's get the right view of this let 's focus it. now this could get rather uncomfortable can 't it? If we start to think how are we going to apply it it could get so I chose a toolbox to, that we could aim our anger at or aim our our concerns at or something like this this is god 's toolbox all right, and in it are the things that God chooses to use, so we 're going to take a little bit of the edge off of our study and aim it this way and think about tools and the toolbox and how God uses what he chooses. Um, what's interesting, when you heard me read through verse 26 and on through 27, 28, and 29, the interesting phrases he uses over and over was that he uses the foolish things. He uses the, the base things. And there's an emphasis on the word things. Even in the uh, Greek, the word things is dominant in that passage. And I think that is a, a wonderful way to approach some problem that's heartfelt and real personal and kind of use something as a buffer. He's going to talk about things, but he's really talking about people. All right? And so it kind of takes the edge a little bit off the sword as he starts to talk to them about, these are the things God uses. And when he matches that with human ability, he talks about men. Not the wise men, but the foolish things. Kind of an interesting work that, that's set before us. Um, but as we go through this, there's going to be a study of tools. Variety of tools. You don't know what's in this box yet. No one's peaked, I don't think. But uh, next week or maybe the week after, I'm going to open it up. And you're going to start to get a picture of what's in front of us. But before we do that, there are certain things we have to do. First, we have to consider our calling. And that's where we are in verse number 26. We've got to look at it. Before we start pulling the pieces out and looking at each one individually, we have to, to set a few things before our consideration that need the focus. Yes, there's a great variety among us, but this we have in common. And so let's walk through this carefully today. Uh, it's it's my belief uh, that if we have, and I only have six items in front of me right now, but if we have these six items governing our examination of the tools that God uses, we will appreciate the tools more. All right? And we will see the value that God has placed on it. This is all part of our considering our calling. We want to take a new perspective on this. On the whole point of service, what God has for me in service, let's consider it from his perspective. All right. So, consider your calling. Now, there are six things, and according to the number of pages I have for my notes, we're going to handle three of them today. Okay? And some of them, you're going to say, but this sounds familiar. I thought you just said something a little bit about that last week. I did. I did. I'm trying to reinforce some of these things so we can get the full appreciation of them. Number one, this consideration has to be there. Consider your calling. Number one, we are called. You have to start there. We are called. We saw the words in verse number 27 and verse number 28. The word chosen kept popping up too. God has chosen. God has chosen. God has chosen. We see that woven all the way through this text. Chosen and called. Now, both words are used in our paragraph before us, but there is a small distinction between the two words. They're not identical words. Uh, To be chosen... So we saw last week means to be called out. To be called out. And the phrase actually is, in the Greek, God himself chose for himself. That's a powerful little phrase. And it means a ton. But all the way through here, he says in verse 27, For God himself has chosen for himself the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God himself has chosen for himself the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And it does it again in verse number 28. The despised, God himself, has chosen for himself. That's a literal phrase that comes from just a little verb sits by itself. But that means, he you have been selected by him. Selected by him. Now, personally, that shows me His uh, his great initiating action. He initiated all this, didn't he? He did. Without our input? Oh, we could have brought so much to his help, right? Just share with him our great wisdom. He chose without our input. He didn't wait for us to impress him. He didn't put on some sort of talent show to say, I'm going to pick three of you, so put on a good show. He didn't do that. He didn't even allow for our manipulation. Hell, we're not like that, are we? We didn't manipulate our position into His service. It's purely based on His will. It's not based on how cute you are. It's based on His will. He chose. He Himself chose. For himself. And, and I think that's very important that we understand this. That we're not bringing anything to the table. He did the work. He initiated. That's chosen. And that's one of the words we see. Now the second word I think is, is rather sweet actually. The word called means to be invited. Invited. Now there's a nice ring to that term isn't there? To be invited to something? Grow up watching or reading Carly, Charlie Brown cartoons? That guy didn't get invited to anything, did he? You always feel sorry for him? Would you have invited him to your parties? I don't know, but we we read those and say, he's never invited. You might feel sorry for him. God invites. That speaks of a very gracious act on his part. Consider this. By his grace, his, his, his wonderful invitation, if you will, he loves us who are sinners. By His grace, he, he calls us and invites us into a permanent relationship with Him. By His grace and his, his glorious invitation, He places us within the church. He secures for us an eternal home with Him by His grace. What wonderful invitations these are that He has given to us. And I add one more. There's probably hundreds and hundreds more, but this one is significant. By his invitation, his gracious action, he gives us the privilege of participating in his service. I underscore that. Matter of fact, I even double underscored it in my notes. Why? Because too often we approach service as my ministry, right? It's my ministry. It's what I do. It's based on what I know. It's what I train for. Pastors have sometimes a problem in this department, but we, we bring all that we have to it without realizing God invited us into this service. That stopped you cold with pride. I mean, what can you say? It was God's invitation that we could even participate. I, I can't underscore that enough. Here it is. God of the universe. Wow, picture it the god of the universe he 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 he's got all power he's perfect in wisdom unlimited in every way supreme in every action always bringing about all that he desires to do and he has some work to do and he reaches down and calls you to be a part of it isn't that amazing You couldn't make that more spectacular than if he said, hey, why don't you help me get the sun up tomorrow morning? That's his work. And he says, come participate in this work with me. It's like, wow, really? He calls us to be in such a big project like that, that he himself is going to perform perfectly? (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I, I'm humbled every time I just think about it, that he knows us, doesn't he? He knows, he's seen our goofy pictures on the wall. He knows who we are. He knows the mistakes we make, and boy, we're good at that. Sometimes I just laugh and laugh and laugh at the things I do. I sat in my office this past week, got to confess something. I, I sat there, I, I'm teaching in South Dakota, and I've I, There's a time change between the two places. So I I always say, well, at 11.40, I'm supposed to start my class and all these things. And I'm sitting there wondering, why is the class not on the other side of the screen? We've had some technical difficulties over the last couple of days. And I thought, well, maybe they're having problems with the computer again. They're just not popping up and all that. So I call the school, I get a hold of the academic dean, I say, I don't know what's going on downstairs, I can't get through to the class, there's no communication between us, Would you go down and see if there's a communication problem with their computer. He goes down there, and while he's gone, I look up at the clock and I'm an hour early. I just started laughing, because I knew what he was going to do when he came back to the phone. It was me, (laughs) it wasn't them. And the whole time I set it up as if, oh, it's a problem on your end, no doubt. And here I was laughing by the time he came back to the phone. How many times have you done things like that lately? Where you realize, oh, it was just me. Can you imagine the God of the universe saying, and you're the exact one I want for this job? I said, really? Lord, you know my ignorance, you, you know my limitations. And he says, Come work on my project. I'm stunned. Don't ever forget that it's God who puts you into service. Don't ever forget that. Moses, you know the story of Moses. God came to him in the burning bush and said, Moses, I, I want you to go. Matter of fact, he said, Come and I will send you. He invited him. Come. And Moses started, of course, with his big questions and his arguments. Who am I? Who are you? What if they won't listen? What if I mess up? All these typical questions. Why can't you send somebody else? He he had a lot of questions and a lot of complaints and a lot of resistance. And yet, God called him. And twice it says, if you go back and read Exodus 3, twice it says, God caused him. Come, calls Moses, calls him. What an incredible picture that is. That was an invitation. And yet over the years, we've seen so often people resisting that invitation. Haven't we? King Saul was called to the kingdom. They couldn't find him. He was in the donkey stable among the baggage. Hiding. Jonah. Do I have to finish the rest of that? I just say Jonah. And you know, he was told to go this way and he went that way. How many times uh, we have had his invitation to serve, and and we considered it a prison sentence. Really, we considered it below our dignity to do that. Really, we considered ourselves inadequate. We can't do that. That's impossible. We're, We're prone to mistakes. We can't do that. There's so many more more capable. Pick somebody else on the picture. Don't pick me. Let's remember, it's God who calls. That's important in service. Every single time you think of service, whatever it is in the church, God calls to that position. It's His calling. It's His calling. Consider that, please. That's what Paul says. Consider that. We're considering everything else. But let's stop and consider the fact that he himself puts you in his toolbox. He did it. Don't forget that. Item number two, quickly. He designed you the way he chose you. He designed you the way he chose you. Don't forget about the wisdom of God. Sometimes we learn best by looking behind us. I know that. Many times we, we, we are, aren't sure what's going to work. We're not sure it's going to come out right. But after it works out and we say, well, you know, boy, that was sheer genius. How did that happen? We're amazed at the results at times, uh, of the results. A couple of uh, verses I'll just read to you here. Mark them in your thinking. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how many are your works In wisdom you have made them all. What work does God do without wisdom? What work are you called to that hasn't been first designed by Him? His wisdom is loaded in every single thing. Do we consider the creation of the world to be a picture of God's wisdom? Do we? Yeah. It's an amazing thing to study creation... See how it all works together. And yet, for some reason, when we think church, we forget all that. And we think, well, this, this, this church is so abnormal. It's parts and pieces just whirling out of control. And, and in a big picture, we've got divisions. We've got denominations. We've got a hundred different directions. We've got different leaders, different styles. We've got different places. We've got all these things. And sometimes we wonder if God is just scrambling around trying to keep it together. He's catching up with us, right? Eventually he'll figure out the church, won't he? Is that the way we view things? Doesn't all his works work by his wisdom? Is the church one of his works? Uh huh. You're starting to get it? His design is in this, folks. The worst thing, perhaps, we may say on a human level, a church could face might be persecution. Say, oh, that's terrible. Uh, what if it leads to the death of somebody in the church? Because of persecution. The enemies get the upper hand. It's spiraling out of control. God, what are you going to do? Let me read to you one little verse I found tucked in Luke eleven forty nine. For this reason also the wisdom of God says, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute. Who said that? God in his wisdom Amazing, isn't it? He even has that under his control. Persecution and even the death of his children. All under his control. That's wise. We need to learn this lesson, don't we? His design in the church includes his design in you. He designed you. Travel with me to Ephesians 2. Just turn a few pages back. Ephesians 2, verse number 10. Very important verse. Ephesians 2.10 It says this. For we are His workmanship. Now you may have a different word there. You might even have the word masterpiece. I kind of like that. We are His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. That means He fabricated you. Alright? Alright? I mean, you know, that's not accidental, is it? That's intentional. The design that he put in to each one of us is an intentional thing, created. Where his workmanship, where his masterpiece, he, his design was intentional by his wisdom. And how grateful we can be at times. How ungrateful. Right? We look at this tool that he's made us to be and we argue against his design. Said, no, Lord, that's not the way I want to be. We don't know uh, what He's planned for us. We don't know how perfectly He has designed us to fit into that task He has prepared us for. Instead, we argue about it. When I was young, I, I spent a great deal of time in my father's garage. He worked on cars often, part of a hobby. After work, he'd come home and go to the garage and fix everybody's car. It was a very oily place. Some of you can picture that, I know. It had some of the ugliest tools I've ever seen in my life. They were screwdrivers that were bent in all kinds of weird positions and even crowbars that were bent. And that kind of worried me at times when I looked at it, thinking, my dad bent that? But we, we had all these, these tools, and I consider them in my ignorance to be very bad tools. They just needed thrown away. They were a mess. They were all bent up as they were. Until I saw him pull out that bent screwdriver that fit just in that spot that nothing else would, and he fixed that part. So, oh, you mean it was bent on purpose to fit that job? How many times do we complain about being bent or being broken, as the choir reminded us today, How many times have we complained about that and didn't realize, well, he bent you for this job. Is that possible? See, we're so limited. How how are we ever going to instruct a God on wisdom? How are we ever going to do that? We need to consider this. Consider our calling. It's God's wisdom that has designed you. It's God's wisdom that has designed you. Now, to tell you the truth, we only made two out of three, all right? And I'm not going to pile more on you right now. You'll have to come back next week and hear three, four, five, and six. But that's probably enough to start with. Consider your calling. Who called you? Who designed you? You're going to serve him, aren't you? You need to start with this. What is your calling? What is your calling? We're going to wrap ourselves around this and and I trust we understand it. And I trust that when we're through with this kind of a study, then we are excited in His service. And we are useful in His hands. And we bring glory to His name. Isn't that what you want to do? That's what I want to do. Let's talk to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father... You're amazing God. That we even can talk to you right now is such a privilege. We don't realize that this avenue was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you did that for us. You've done everything for us. We are... We ought to be the most grateful people on earth. When we consider your attention our direction that you would even call us, that you would choose us to participate in your work, that you would design us for that task. That's amazing, Lord, and yet it's something we need to know. Because sometimes we get so full of our own pride, as, as man-centered as can be, we forget, Lord, that it's you who has designed service and has designed us for it. Work in our hearts, I pray, Lord. May this not be a thought that we can dismiss as we step out the door here this morning. But work in our hearts throughout this week and throughout this study. Draw us back again to the meal picture of a servant. Show us Jesus Christ. And teach us to follow Him. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory. And with that, we also give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.